It's October 6, 2023 in the afternoon. Earlier this morning, I gave a presentation at a conference in Switzerland by the FKL group called Sound Sustainability. And my paper was about my sounding modernity project. And I wrote a script out and published it as a blog. But of course, life changes and ended up um, not referring to my notes that much. So what you're about to hear are, is a recording of me speaking uh, during the presentation. Um, and at the end, there are two questions. Um, I won't, uh, I didn't get permission, I didn't ask permission to, for those who asked the question to be recorded, so I won't use it. But I will summarize uh, what they were asking me so you can hear my response. And that's it. Uh, this is an audio recording of that presentation, which is similar to what I wrote on the blog. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm happy uh, to introduce to uh, Claude Chrier. Um, uh, he is a Franco-Italian sound and media artist and arts administrator of European ancestry. He holds a MM, um, we can say this, or master, mm, okay, MM in composition from McGill University and was actively involved in the acoustic ecology and acoustic music communities in the 80s and 90s in Montreal, Bath, and across Europe. Uh, so, welcome, and uh, you can start your presentation. <laughs> well, bonjour tout le monde, welcome. Uh, it's about 8 o'clock in the morning here in Vancouver. I'm speaking to you oh. from... <laughs> I'm speaking to you from the unceded traditional territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh uh, nations. Uh, in otherwise known as Vancouver, British Columbia. And it's important to do this land acknowledgement here in Canada in particular because these are unceded indigenous lands and we are still working through our relationship with um, indigenous peoples here in Canada. So I'm very happy to be here. Um, fortunately, I couldn't be there in person. I'll tell you why in a minute. But um, some of you might remember that a couple of years ago I spoke at an FKL event about uh, radical listening as climate action. And I'm still very much involved in climate action, but what I want to do today is talk to you about a project that's ongoing, an entire year of podcasting around issues of sustainability and sound. So uh, I'm really happy to be here. It's a real privilege. And I want to thank Stefano and all the team there for, uh, for your support, because uh, I know it's a lot of work and I know it's late there, so I will be as quick as I can, uh, because I assume this will be an ongoing conversation. Um, I really liked the, the, what this conference was about. It talked about initiating interdisciplinary dialogue that examines the use of acoustic paradigm, eventual or current, uh, with the idea of a sustainable present and future in mind. It made me think about what do we mean by sustainability, and I'm sure you've talked about it there inevitably because it's the topic of the conference. But it can mean so many different things. Are we talking about uh, some assumptions of modernity that uh, sustainability is within that framework? Or are we talking about something completely different? I think it's the latter, but that's uh, something that's important to consider. Um, and what about positionality? You know, from what perspectives are we listening? There's a lot of work being done here in British Columbia on positionality. So, um, and then there's the issue of, uh, you know, are we talking about sustainability in, in, in which context? Um, I think we're looking at a catastrophic future. And, um, and so that's, 
the kind of listening I'm trying to do. And it's interesting to be part of this category called storytelling with sound, um, because we're talking about, among other things, the ethics uh, of, of storytelling. And of course, ethics are very complex. Um, are we talking about the truthfulness of information? Are we talking about appropriation and social justice? Uh, we're probably talking about all those things. But for me, ethics and storytelling is about telling um, the truth and avoiding those fictional tales about ex endless, endless growth and, expo and exploitation and, and some of the myths that we've created that are highly problematic. So I'm really interested in, in further exploring this idea of ethics and storytelling, and storytelling in particular. So, uh, like many of us, during the beginning of the pandemic, we were stuck at home, and I'd just gotten back from a conference in um, Arizona, the uh, creative leadership uh, course that Julie's Bicycle uh, did, and I was thinking of starting a podcast, and, and I just accelerated my work, and I started a podcast called Conscient. Uh, and I did 100 episodes uh, in a, a short period of time, because I had the time, and like many of us, we were at home. And so I, I got to know a lot of the issues that I'm working on through uh, conversations with individuals and uh, experts. And then I decided to do an art project. I said, well, how can art, how can sound art actually um, contribute to these issues? What is the impact of art? And, and of course, I ask everybody these questions. So I decided to, to give myself the challenge of doing a five-minute episode every week for a year. Uh, and so uh, I have been doing that. Some of them are longer than five minutes. But the idea then is to look at how sound art specifically can serve as a medium for um, not only environmental awareness, but uh, facing reality. And speaking of facing reality, I've been working here in Vancouver with a collective called Gesturing Towards Decolonial Futures. Some of you might know their writings. It's led by Dr. Vanessa Andriotti, who's actually moved from UBC to University of Victoria, where she's the Dean of Education. And she wrote a book called Hospicing Modernity. Some of you might have read it, and if you haven't, I, I recommend it. And I just want to acknowledge that that work on decolonization has been deeply influential. It changed my life in terms of uh, the, how I learn and how I unlearn. And the unlearning part is, is really important. And it's also interesting that I'm here in Vancouver. I'm here visiting and supporting family, but this is the home of the World Soundscape Project from the 1970s, of course, which is very influential in the field of acoustic ecology. And what's happening now is that a lot of the assumptions of Murray Schaefer and the World Soundscape Project are being questioned, um, and in a good way, about in terms of what it means today to listen to the soundscape. What is urbanism and what is natural sounds today in the context of decolonization, which is happening here in Canada. So that's something to think about, uh, those historical relationships with place like a place like Vancouver. So what I'll do today is show you a few examples. Hopefully the technology will work, and if it doesn't, you can listen to it after on, on the podcast. Sh show you a little bit of the work I've been doing, and then um, I'd love to have conversation. I know time is tight, but I, I really appreciate uh, feedback and honest feedbacks. So that's something I've learned from my colleagues in the collective is, is that there's this thing called brutally honest feedback, <laughs> which is when you don't, you don't hold, you don't insult the person, but you don't hold back to saying what you really feel, and that way we can get to the bottom of, of issues and how people are responding. So that's something I try to do as respectfully as possible, but also brutally. 
So just a few points of clarification. When I talk about modernity, I'm not talking about modernity in art, you know, not modern art. I'm talking about modernity in the sense of extractive capitalism, overconsumption, endless growth, systemic racism, white supremacy, our separation from nature, all of those issues that we're facing right now. So it's a question of critiquing, critiquing modernity, but also hospicing it in the sense of letting it go and trying to retain some elements like the technology we're using today and, and a lot of the tools that we've built in a way that is truly sustainable and ethical. And I think that work is just beginning now. I don't think we're, we're, we really understand what that means to question modernity and to exit this uh, self-destructive lifestyle that we've created, which is, has many, many benefits, right? <laughs> uh, and yet is so destructive. So, uh, for example, at the end of my podcast, I always talk about how I'm grateful and accountable to the earth and human labor that provided me with the privilege of producing this podcast, including all the toxic materials and extractive processes behind the computers, recorders, transportations, and infrastructure that make this podcast possible. So what that means is that I try to recognize where things come from and my role in it. When I use my computer, who helped build it, uh, with the labor involved and so on. And what I try to do is, for instance, I didn't fly to Switzerland, though I could have, um, because the carbon footprint was too big. I could, I could do it by communications, therefore I did. Um, I donate funds at the end of each podcast to different causes. You know, I try to use green technologies, all that kind of thing. And I try also not to, um, to lecture anyone <laughs> about what they need, should or shouldn't do. Rather, because I'm a listener, like most of you, all of you, in a community, I try to, to participate in my community and use that skill of listening to guide my work. So I'll play the first example now. Um, it's the very first episode. It's one I actually produced here in Vancouver, and it's called Tension. How do you feel now? And you'll see in listening to it that it's uh, an invitation to slow down. Because one of the problems we have with modernity is that we're always rushing around in a mad... Uh, kind of fury to get things done and to be productive, but, but if we slow down and if we listen differently, uh, we might have a different experience, we might use other senses of our body and new ways that uh, open up our um, uh, untapped potential, untapped uh, potential, not through our ears, just our ears, but our body. So let's see if this works to play the, the sound here. I'll share the screen. And I'll find the right one, this one. Start sharing and I will play the sound if I can here, hang on. The sound is here, here we go. I was thinking about the tensions in our lives and the art of finding. So I went for a walk in Vancouver and came upon a piece of fishing line. I'm sorry, we're lacking sound now. Ah. I, I see that uh, 
sound uh, force and shape uh, goes on, but we don't listen anymore. Oh, well then, um, that's fine. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's just call that an example because uh, it's it's not so important to listen to it together now. I, I you you get an idea. I'm talking in a slow voice. There are field recordings. There are um, uh, musical sounds and. And every episode is something like that. There is a material, it could be a field recording, it could be uh, an interview, and, and then I will process and work with an idea so that it becomes a five-minute thought or experience. And, and so I've, I've done many of those. And so if you're interested, just go to the, um, to the podcast and you can listen. But my point is here that um, I got some really interesting feedback um, from listeners, and I'll give you an example. From a colleague who took a course with me called Facing Human Wrongs. Um, now, can you see me? Hang on here. Stop sharing. You should be able to see me again here. There I am. <laughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, just a quick example of the kind of feedback I got. So this, this person who I took a course with called Facing Human Wrongs said, uh, Episode 1 was a great start. I wanted it to last longer even though my answer to your question is that I felt restless and annoyed. So I asked people, what are they feeling? And he, that was his, uh, his reaction. The gift of silence and breathing throughout and especially towards the end are so much appreciated. I'm curious if these silences appear in the middle, how much we are conditioned not to trust the silence devices and to sway towards checking our phones and devices to see if the soundtrack has stopped or is still playing. So this is what happens when you use silence in, 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 uh, in composition or in podcasting is that people say, well, there's something wrong. There's, it's not working. You know? <laughs> like we probably experienced right now with, <laughs> with it not working. Um, but I thought that was very interesting insight. And I, I just constantly got um, feedback from listeners saying, uh, you know, what about this? Or uh, how, how, why, why are you, have you read this article? Or, you know, giving me feedback. And so... You know, for example, episodes after that, I, I looked at one uh, about how we can demodernize art. Um, one was about a heat pump that I set up in our house and how can you decarbonize? Um, what does decarbonization sound like? Uh, I had an episode with an indigenous artist, France Crepanier, who asked about what does a small moment in a much larger space sound like? So the idea of time being an indigenous, in the indigenous world being much, much longer than in the colonial world that we have here in Canada. So that's, that's the project. I was going to play to you, for you an excerpt from um, um, episode 112, but I don't think I will because it's not necessary, but I'll just tell you a little bit about it. I had the privilege of being a keynote at the World Forum for Acoustic Ecology in uh, Florida in March, and um, along with um, a couple of other um, artists. And I, I did a 12-minute episode, so I broke my own rule. Uh, it was supposed to be only five minutes, but this one was 12. And the, I came up with five conclusions, and I'll read them to you so you understand what I was trying to say at the time. The first is face reality and learn how to unlearn. The second is develop and, in, and implement a radical theory of change through the arts. The third is transition out of modernity. The fourth is change the story. And the fifth is connect our efforts. So I've already talked a little bit about unlearning. To me, unlearning is letting go of uh, the assumptions we have and the things that we take for granted and 
uh, really starting afresh in terms of what is really happening in the world as opposed to what we've been taught. The idea of using the arts more radically, I think the arts are really good at raising awareness of environment. I'm sure you've had lots of presentations on that. But how can the arts be more radical, be much more um, proactive in showing a vision of the world and for artists to live that, that talk, to change their ways for us to relate to each other differently? Um, I talk about transitioning out of modernity um, changing the story is what this session is about and what your whole conference is about, is how can we as listeners change the story. So that's, that's not easy, but that's an, a really interesting one where the arts have tremendous potential. And lastly, I talked about connecting our efforts, and this is one of our biggest challenges, is that we work in isolation, in relative isolation. So we work in little networks in Europe and North America and in Asia, but how do we connect those efforts in the arts and culture and other areas so that we have a lot more momentum and impact. Because I'm, f I'm not feeling momentum right now. I'm feeling that there's a type of complacency in the world around climate, the climate emergency and the ecological crisis. We've survived um, you know, as best we could COVID, but now um, we have to get back to the work that was started and that was in the works before it was interrupted by COVID and then be informed by COVID. So, uh, it's a time of, of, um, of re-energizing, I think. Um, I won't read you a, a quote that I was going to read you because it's a bit long, but I had a, many exchanges with Hildegard Westerkamp, who many of you will know from her work uh, as a composer and as a soundwalker and as a theorist, but she uh, responded many times, and they're all on my website, so if you're interested in... And what I've also done is I, I, I have a monthly blog um, that, uh, where I summarize my learnings, and you, you can read those. In fact, the, today's presentation I just published yesterday as a blog as well, so that you know, there's, there's discourse that you, people can realize, uh, can learn from each other and realize that we are, um, are all questioning the same things. You know, what does proselytizing mean? What does it mean to have, to unlearn? Um, I talk about the notion of spiritual bypassing. These are, are concepts that are emerging um, out of scholars and I think are really interesting because they are empowering, they are positive, they are uh, questioning um, things that we, we are uncomfortable with but we need to work our way through. So halfway through the project, I did a 57-minute episode. Some of you might know Framework Radio in Estonia. They're, they're publishing um, the piece in, uh, at the end of the month here. And so I, I did a summary of everything that I had learned, and, and there's a quote in the blog that I I'll published today about that, but I won't read it to you. And then I, I do want to tell you about a, a story, because stories are so powerful. Here in Vancouver, uh, some of you might know Dr. Dylan Robinson, who's the author of Hungry Listening. And if you don't know his work, I, I, I recommend you read that book, Hungry Listening, because it talks about decolonized listening in a very, very powerful way. And I attended an event at uh, University of British Columbia where um, Dylan invited a number of artists to listen to Vancouver. And some of you might know that one of the projects of the Vancouver Soundscape was um, you know, revisiting um, the Vancouver Soundscape. And what, what Dylan did is asked a, a group of, of artists, mostly uh, indigenous artists, to go into the field and to listen and to report back on what they heard. And what they talked about was how their bodies listened to haptic vibrations, how hearing, how they were hearing and feeling the voices of non-human and the relationship with non-humans. 
um, how we uh, perceive uh, infrastructure differently. And what they didn't do, they also talked about the Trans Mountain Pipeline and um, uh, ghosts and uh, uh, feelings and reverberations. And what they didn't do is um, talk about themselves. They didn't talk about technology. They didn't talk about the World Soundscape Project. They talked about what they experienced and how they relate sound, the sounds of Vancouver, which is very different from other readings. So to me, this is an example of decolonized listening and unlearning. There I was sitting in a room uh, with maybe 50 people that was not recorded. We were just there listening to the testimony of, of listeners in a way that I thought was extremely powerful. So um, I, wrote about, I write about that in my work. And I'll finish with just uh, an episode I, I, I um, uh, published this week called uh, Saturation. And it came about, uh, and you can listen to it, it's the, ver the very last episode that's on the podcast. And it, it came about from a, a collaborator of mine who, who, was, who helped me <laughs> develop the podcast. And I said, so what do you think? How's it going? She says, I can't listen to it. And I said, why? She said, because it's too difficult. I, my life is already full of climate emergency news. I just can't take it. And, and it made me feel so sad that, that we are so saturated with, um, with information, but also so many calls to action. How many calls to action can we do when we feel disempowered by uh, the situation and the culture in which we live? You know, we need systemic change, and yet we feel not able to do that. So um, that, that episode talks about that feeling of um, disempowerment and um, not a, a feeling, the saturation and how we can work through saturation. And one of the ways to work through saturation is to just slow down and to uh, be much more um, uh, judicious in what we listen to and maybe just take a little bit, a uh, little bit of, of the difficult news and process it. So... I, I really appreciated my colleague's feedback that she was just not able to, um, to process the podcast that she was working on with me. So, um, the, that episode also, uh, uh, <laughs> the question, at, at, each, at the end of each episode there's a question, and the, the, that question is, how can we tap into our, the boundless streams of love, connection, and meaning? <laughs> and that's drawn from a book, a book by Dr. Britt Ray, uh, who wrote a book called Generation Dread. And some of you might know it. It's about echo anxiety, and, it's, and she has a blog, and she's a very prolific and wonderful uh, thinker and writer about echo anxiety. So her conclusion is that if we tap into the boundless stream of love, connection, meaning that we have inside of us, if we can work through our anxiety and work through our grief and work through our uh, denial, quite frankly, then we, we have tremendous strength, tremendous energies that are untapped. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, I want to thank the, all those who I've recorded. I hope I've done so ethically. Um, I got a grant from the Canada Council for the Arts for this project, and I'm very thankful that I was able to pay my collaborators and work in good conditions. And uh, I appreciate that you're doing this conference uh, in Switzerland today, these days, and that you will continue to do uh, discourse and have opportunities for exchange and to invite uh, people like me to uh, participate in your uh, activities. So I'll leave it at that and uh, invite you to listen to the podcast whenever you wish. You can subscribe if you're interested. Um, and I'm happy if there's time for any questions. En français ou en anglais, either work for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Thank you.
yeah, the public are clapping a lot. I don't know if you listen to. Yeah, here. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah. So thank you very much for all the information, all the sharing us, uh, uh, also references of books, and uh, I think that it's very your your work. It's very inspiring to connecting people uh, who wants to face the reality and uh, start to to have a sort of um, um, I can say yes uh, power on, on this situation. Uh, but okay, uh, I yes. There is already a question, so yes, we can. So the first question that I was asked after my presentation was about the lack of diverse representation at the conference um, and um, issues of, re of representation and um, different voices being heard or not heard. Um, so the question was about that, mostly to the organizers, but also to me, and to get my thoughts on uh, the issue of who's not in the room, that kind of thing. Here's what I said. Well, of course, I can't speak on behalf of the organizers. Uh, they, they can respond, and I'm sure they will, and I'm sure they have, I'm sure they share your concerns, because often in conferences, you, you work with what is submitted, but you can also curate, right? So that's, that's the power you have, is to, to try to get as many submissions and then to, to fill the gaps. My own point of view on that is, is to be um, as inclusive as possible and to get out of the way uh, when necessary. So sometimes I take up too much room um, I find, and I've been pulling away and trying to pass the microphone to others. I do that with my podcast to have as many different voices as I can. But also, for instance, I'm a founder of an organization called Scale here in Canada, which is an art and climate organization. And if you want to find it, it's easy. Just Google Scale, art and climate. And that organization I just left because I had given what I had to give and new voices were necessary. And so that's part of it is, is moving out when you're a privileged white male like me but also to work with others and to, um, to be present without um, having to necessarily speak first or have your point of view heard, to listen and to search for information that might, might not be as easily as available. So for instance, the work of the Decolonial uh, Futures Collective, I promote as much as I can because it's such brilliant work and it is informed by indigenous points of view and Afrofuturistic points of view and many others. And, and I think as curators and as producers, it's incumbent us, upon us to reflect the diversity around us. And, and that diversity is there. It's in Europe, it's in North America, it's everywhere. And to be as, um, as proactive and as radical as you can in your programming. Uh, and I think your, your point is well taken also in terms of cross-sectoral representation. So you're an anthropologist. It's really interesting to have other people, and I commend you for coming to a conference. Uh, to have uh, people from other fields of expertise and to have that kind of dialogue. And I know that's happening in acoustic ecology. In fact, acoustic ecology, one of its great strengths, um, Marie Schaefer and others, is that it was transdisciplinary from the beginning. It uh, touched all fields, even though it was driven by artists, it touched all fields and continues to this day to be very um, uh, cross-sectoral. But what it isn't is um, uh, as diverse as it could be because 
Uh, there are dominant voices, there are people in institutions who have a point of view and have a power base. They have the money to come to conferences. So that's part of the challenge as well, is economic access. So many challenges, but I think uh, your point is well taken uh, and, and we should continue to work on it and at future events, do better. And the second question um, was about listening itself. Um, is uh, listening enough to address ecological, is ecological issues like the ecological crisis? Or uh, do we need to, to have different kinds of new forms of listening to, to address the complexities that we face? That was essentially the question, and here is my answer. Well, that's a big question. It's probably the, the, the existential question of any acoustic ecologist, is how do you position listening Certainly listening in and of itself is an act of receiving, therefore of processing, so you know, it has the potential to be whatever the, the listener uh, uh, <laughs> accepts in, in the environment. But I think it, it can't just be listening, I think it has to be uh, ecological listening, it has to be social listening, it has to be um, just listening, there's many, many forms of listening that we do intuitively, but I don't think we've developed um, uh, a canon of, of listening enough yet. So I, th I think your point is, your question is good because listening in and of itself, Hildegard Westerkamp would agree, is, is, is good. Um, but but the, the forms of listening and the position of listening, I think, is, is the question now. From what, uh, what baggage, what assumptions do we have in our listening? How can we change those? And how can listening evolve, not just with our ears, but with our body and our minds and all that? So... Uh, that's a quick answer to a, a, a big question and one I invite you all to, to consider from your p different points of view and to talk about. Just constantly talk about listening, experiment, do sound walks, do everything you can to enhance that sense of listening and its okay, connection to our environment. Thank you, Claude. Thank you so thank much. You're welcome. See you with you at that uh, hour in the night. And, oh, well, uh, in the morning, yeah. Have a, a good day. And, uh, Let's, let's be in touch. Uh, yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank Cheers. Bye-bye.